Hey guys, and welcome to episode 58 of the Revive Cell podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So guys, welcome to episode 58 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Hope you're well. Um... So, as always, lots of positive messages all about the content people are getting in the free four-day course, um, which is brilliant. And, um, yeah, really happy that people are, are enjoying the podcast episodes as well, getting lots of good feedback from that. As always, if you want to send in a message about that or you're dealing with a health issue and you want some help, then um, send an email to me at ryan at reviveyourself.co. And if you head on over to www.reviveyourself.co, we've got loads of good information there. All the podcasts are there as well as on iTunes. And we've got our free four-day mini course for anyone who wants to, to know how to... Um, or anyone who's dealing with a chronic health issue, anyone wants to know why and get to the basics of what needs to be done to turn it around, then that's going to be for you, okay, no matter what the issue is. Now, today's episode, number 58, is one I'm really excited to bring to you. It's with someone who I've looked up to for a long period of time, and that is a certain Mr. Paul Check, um, all the way from California. Now, Paul um, heads the Czech Institute. Um, he's the founder and uh, I mean the head of it. And he's been he's been doing health and I say fitness, but really health and helping people through all sorts of different issues for uh, thirty five years now. He's studied with the best. I mean, his his house is like a big. I mean, the biggest library you could imagine. He's read more than more than anyone I know. He's he's talked to any more than anyone I know, and he's been getting results that surgeons and other health practitioners couldn't get for years now. And he goes deep into the mental, emotional, the physical, the spiritual. Um, and today's interview is one where we're going to get Paul back on um, periodically just to talk about things. But today we go deep into a certain aspects, especially veganism. We go into men and women and why they're different. We go into um, technology. We go into a lot of different things. Uh, it's a great conversation. So without further ado, here he is. Here's the main man, Paul Check, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey guys, welcome to episode 58 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Today's guest is, well, almost the holistic godfather. Uh, that's Paul Check, and... Someone who I quote quite a lot on the show, you'd have heard me talk about him, and um, you know, it's an honor to have him on the show. So, how are you going today, Paul? I'm very, very good, thank you. That's awesome. So, um, so I was, I was just saying to you off air, it amazes me. Um, I mean, I was in the health industry, I've been in the health industry, health and fitness industry now for, a, well, I'd say. 16, 17 years and your name always come up and actually I'll be honest the first time it come up it come up with people talking about how much of a, a loon you were uh, how much of a quack <laughs> <laughs> and uh, talking about a guy who doesn't make wear man made fibres and he's a bit out there woo woo um, this was before I actually had my own health crisis um, then 
Um, I went through my own health crisis the ages of 17 to 22, came out the other side and um, actually met my first mentor who opened me up into a world I didn't even know existed. And the further and further I got into it, your name kept on cropping up and um, you've been someone that, yeah, who, unbeknown to you, has been a sort of a mentor of mine for a long period of time and I've interviewed Good. Warren Williams, who's like another uh, Czechie and Czech practitioners all over the world and myself seem to have very similar views on stuff. So... As I was saying before, it really does um, surprise me how much you are still unknown in the UK and in lots of the world. I mean, surely, I mean, someone who's been in the game for such a long time, surely, doesn't that surprise you? Yes and no. Um, when you look at people like me that teach a real grounded, holistic approach, and compare someone like me to the kind of people that they do know, the gap in the amount of money being spent to market a person like me versus, uh, you know, any any of the personalities out there, you know, whether it be, uh, what's his name, the, the doctor on the news that... Dr. Uh, Oz. Dr. Oz, right? Yeah. So there's a guy who's had probably spending a million dollars a year on marketing alone. So the the problem is, is that unless you're backed by a large corporation that has an ulterior motive to sell something, you're pretty much left to the devices of marketing yourself, which means you are going to have a fairly limited marketing budget compared to the people that <clears throat> have corporate entities behind them. And I've resisted affiliations with corporate entities that have offered to support me because there was always something about what they were doing that I did not feel was something that reflected my values. So um, it's pretty normal, but uh, we've managed to sell over 160,000 copies of How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy, but we had to do that ourselves. You know, I've traveled the world for many years to over 20 years, nonstop lecturing, making it around the world about twice a year, every year doing hundreds and hundreds of presentations and seminars and workshops all over the world, selling how to eat, move and be healthy at conferences and through our students and through our own website. So to, to sell 160,000 books, a hundred thousand books is considered a bestseller. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my point that I'm making is I've had to put my whole staff, myself, my wife, everyone's had to put a tremendous amount of energy to get that much movement on that one book. The other thing is, is that I'm not selling magic bullets. My philosophy is based on, you know, not bullshitting yourself and getting clear on what health is really all about and how to do it. And unfortunately, we're in an instant gratification culture that doesn't actually want to participate in their own life and in their own healing, they want to sell it to some doctor, take a pill or take some 15 minute course on the internet and claim to be an expert at emotional healing or whatever. But my approach really requires that a person be truly invested in themselves and be conscious of what they're emulating to the world and their impact on the world. So it's really a course for people that are really ready to express adult responsibilities for themselves, but the large majority of people out there are really still children in adult bodies, unfortunately.
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you touched on quite a few things there. The investing in yourself, I completely understand. That's why, I mean, you said before, a big barrier entry to even work with yourself um, because you want people that are serious. But when you're talking about, I mean, you've got a very interesting story around one of the companies. I think it was... I think it was a protein company. Um, I think I heard the story before when you were talking about how they were putting aspartame or aspartame yeah. in one of their products. And yeah. um, the, the guy said, well, it's all bullshit. I don't believe that that's bad. Um, what, what, yeah. what, was the, what was the company there? I can't remember. That was, that was Metrics. That oh, was right, a, yeah. And they were, at the time, uh, Dr. Connolly wanted me to take over the whole. Uh, aspect of conditioning all of his sponsored athletes and at that time I think I'm just guessing but I think they had 40 professional athletes and he offered to build me a gym with whatever I wanted in it and set it up how I wanted it and you know basically that would be my job is to make sure the metrics athletes were winners at what they did and and supported the company with their winnings and you know marketing again and you know he had aspartame in most of his products and at that time it was aspartame were the products with aspartame actually produced 85% of all complaints to the FDA about negative food reactions and having researched it and looked at studies on what it did to rats brains and you know I won't go into a long story on aspartame because it's pretty obvious that it's nasty stuff oh some people still believe it's it's good for you it's amazing yeah well, you know, people that aren't educated, unfortunately, have very dangerous beliefs that hurt them more than other people. And um, so, like you said, I said to him, I will I'll work with you under one condition. You get the aspartame out of your products and, and switch to natural sources so that people aren't poisoning themselves. And, and he basically stated he did not agree that there was anything wrong with aspartame he said there's no scientific evidence behind that and I said well there, there actually is if you want to read it I'll get you some but so that was the breaking point and that's kind of typical for me you know I I get people sending me stuff all the time from all over the world wanting my endorsement but 99.9 percent of it is just commercial garbage made to look and sound better than it really is mm-hmm. it's just misleading to people and I just can't, I have to be able to sleep with myself at night and I can't, my rule is, my rule with myself is if everyone did what I'm about to do now, would the world be a better place? So if I had everybody drinking aspartame and, and uh, many of these other products, I might have a lot of money, <laughs> but I contributing to the very things in the world that create the diseases I spent my life helping people heal. Mm. So basically about integrity, and it's one of the reasons why, same with me, um, I've been asked different brands to promote the product to use certain product ranges, and I'm, I can't use the product range because I know that there's something out there that's better than that, and this one's better than that, so to, just to blanket prescribe stuff is not right. One of the products I did see on your site was actually Living Fuel, which is... Um, a very good product, I think. Probably one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, um, all in one. So you sort of can tell um, the integrity of a person by the quality of the things they actually do promote. Um, but and I want to go quite a bit deeper into this because there's lots of stuff. I mean, I've been I've, I've had loads of people say, "Ask him this, ask him that." I really want to know. Um, but what would I know? Because this is I know I've just got a wine drop and let you go, Paul. So what? What would you say is the thing that brings most people into your office, into contacting and working with you? 
Uh, I would say if I had to kind of synthesize it down to one thing, um, it would be a sense of deep confusion as to why they're not healing when they've tried so many different doctors, therapists, supplements, uh, and, uh, you know, approaches. They, you know, I'm not a cheap date. I, I do a lot of public work for for free, like my YouTube and all the things, the Czech Institute blog and all the things you know about, but my time's very valuable to me. So to see me, I only coach people 20 hours at a time, and I think it's 12,500 for a block of coaching. So it does require an investment. So by the time people are ready to spend that kind of money, they've usually tried a lot of things, and they've usually um, found that they're at an impasse. Some, something's not happening, and they're not getting to where they want to go, whether it be getting rid of pain or dealing with the emotional crisis of uh, midlife transition, death in the family, divorce, uh, business failures, uh, relationship challenges, um, challenges with raising children, diseases. Um, you know, those are the types of things. And a lot of athletes that are having problems because they can't get their body to perform well, or they've got chronic injuries that won't heal no matter what they try or how many surgeries they get. But if you just bring that down into sort of a synthesis, it's people that are confused because they're getting so much conflicting information. For example, many of them go see multiple doctors who give them very uh, diametrically opposed diagnoses one might say you have irritable bowel syndrome. The other one says, oh, that's a bunch of BS. You've just got low back pain. Or uh, that someone might say it's all in your head. There's nothing wrong with your body. Look at you, you know, because they're fit athletes. So the doctor just takes one look and says there's nothing wrong with your body. It's all in your head. And there's also a lot of people that see me because they're suffering from various types of addictions, be it exercise addictions, um, workaholism, alcoholism, uh, addiction to sex and pornography, addiction to cocaine, addiction to crack cocaine, addiction to marijuana, um, a, a long list of addictions. Uh, so people find that they've tried various approaches that just haven't been effective. So my work is quite a lot deeper than most uh, of the approaches I've seen out there. And as you know, it's very, very holistic. Mm -hmm. So when people come to me, it's usually fairly consistently that they just don't understand the basic principles of the body. They don't understand the basic principles of instincts. They don't understand the basic principles of instincts and how they produce drives in the body, such as the drive for hunger, or the drive for sex, or the drive for sleep, or the drive for movement, or the drive for creativity. They don't understand how the mind works, and oftentimes they're suffering from a lot of um, disabling uh, developmental or childhood programming, and they don't realize they're just reliving their parents' nightmares instead of creating their own dreams. Um, and this is a lot of this internal programming is what's blocking them from really uh, 
um, listening to themselves, a lot of fear-based thinking. So I really spend a fair bit of time grounding people in the basics. I have 25 lessons I created for my patients that I take them through on the four doctors to teach them how each of the four doctors is an essential element of a living philosophy. And it doesn't matter if you're the best in the world at three of them, the one that you're not paying attention to will be the weak link in the chain that'll take you down every time. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of deep emotional work and um, a lot of work looking at where their level of consciousness is at. So using what Ken Wilber calls structure stages of consciousness, I can use Ken Wilber's system. There's many systems out there. I can use Arthur M. Young's system. Um, and I also created my own synopsis of, of multiple systems, which is a four-stage system that goes from child to warrior to the king and the queen to the wise man and wise woman. And those are stages of conscious development and spiritual growth. So typically I identify where they're at and what the model of thinking and relating is at that structure stage, and then work with them to grow to the next structure stage of consciousness. And I also do a lot of work teaching people how to access their own soul so that they can develop a deep relationship with the inner wisdom. And I help them understand that, you know, you oftentimes are finding that you're getting conflicting information everywhere you go because your soul's inviting you to stop externalizing your um, responsibility for yourself to, to apparent authority figures. And it's time for you to tap into yourself because as I often say, one man's medicine is another man's poison. But the ego tends to and this is part of the childhood programming and, and the religious programming that, you know, the priests are the emissaries of God, doctors are the priests of medicine. You always do what you're told. You don't ask questions. So we've developed a white jacket mentality along with a white food mentality. Mm -hmm. And so people keep listening to what they're being told without actually paying attention to whether or not their own inner truth buzzer is ringing or not. So a lot of my work is, is teaching people how to have an intimate, loving relationship with themselves so that they can take guidance from spirit within instead of constantly externalizing and how to balance that intuitive access with just good sound, sound common sense or rationality. Mm -hmm. 100%. I mean, what you just said there as well about... I mean, there's different ways I can go with this, so they don't know which way to go. It's what you say, the way that people are thinking, I mean, is that a, is that a, um, a reflection of today's world and the way that we're going? And it just seems to me to be going so far off of where our basis is, our genetics are, and people would say that men and women are the same thing, and uh, it's like, I don't think they understand how different we are and what's going on in the world. Um, and then you've got, I mean... All this stuff, you've got the vegans saying, oh, be kidding, it's immoral to be kidding meat. I even had someone, uh, one of my sort of clients saying, she'd actually rather be ill than eat meat. Um, I was like, well, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways we can go. I actually want to talk, talk, talk uh, touch on those, but you just said there about, the, I think it's so so true. I say this a lot of times to my 
to, to my audience, to my clients, that people believe a bit of paper rather than their own body. You know, yeah. well, why are you eating that? Well, because the doctor told me to. Okay, but when you eat it, how do you feel? Oh, I feel terrible. So when did your brain kick in and realize maybe you should stop eating that because your body's telling you everything you need to know and forget about it. I mean, I've heard you talk before about maybe the, the doctors and the white jackets and the PhDs and specialists may be almost been like the last remaining, almost, not the last remaining, but it's like a religion. And people just literally believe it because, though, a lot of the time I believed it until I come into this world, until I got ill and found another way. We're sort of taught to believe it. We're, taught to, we're, we're programmed to believe them, right, that they are the rock stars. Um, and it's funny how, how, how far the other way I've gone and everyone else is like, to me, that's why I have doctors on my program, and I'm sure you do on yours. They they don't know what you say. You said before to quote you, a specialist is someone who knows more and more about less and less, and turns out absolutely everything about nothing. And it's it's amazing how how often that's the case. Well, it is, and 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 that's one of the downfalls of you know. We one thing people don't realize is one. 60% of the average medical doctor's education is paid for by drug companies. So they're actually not taught in an environment that's unbiased. In other words, they're not just studying anatomy, physiology, and medicine for the intention of getting people better. There's a constant programming agenda to use drugs as the primary form of care. The average medical doctor around the world only gets about four hours of nutrition education research out of New Zealand that I found oh maybe 12 15 years ago showed that the average medical doctor knows no more about nutrition than the average woman and any woman who's got one or more children on average knew more than the average medical doctor about nutrition in New Zealand and New Zealand's got a much better medical system than the West than the Americans do um, so the first part that I'm pointing to here is that our so-called experts are highly programmed and those that do get hip and start thinking holistically often get their medical licenses taken away, get attacked and have to suffer a lot of challenges. And, and you know, I've got entire books on my library written about these doctors. Uh, many of them are doctors that are very famous but can no longer practice medicine because they sued. They're like on the um, quack watch, right? Yeah, well, the quack watch is really oftentimes paradoxically, that's where the best doctors are. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Czech Institute was put on the quack watch all the way back in about 2007, which for me was a great accomplishment. <laughs> um, you know, so there's other influences as well. I mean, we, we also have to remember that our education system began – and Ken Wilber describes this in his teachings. I think it's in his book. Um, oh, it's called. Uh, oh, I'll have to remember the name of the book. I've studied so much of his stuff. It's hard to remember. It's, I think it's called. Uh, it has something to do with about knowing about everything. Um, uh, it might come to me as we talk, but Ken Wilber and others. Uh, beautifully describe this and, and and on the other side you have religion so if you read the book by Alan Watts it's beautiful it's it's not an easy one to get a hold of but it's just called the book and it's also available it used to be on audio cassette um, because it's an older book but Alan Watts 
shows how religion is potentially a very destructive force and it programs people to behave in, in predictable ways that makes them very profitable and easy to control. And that same model is alive in the medical system. But the point that I'm leading you to here is that if you look into the history of our education systems, particularly in the West, our education systems were developed first by the plantation owners during the era of slave trading and, the, and in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And what they did was they created educational systems to keep the children tied up all day so they could work the parents or the slaves harder. And they specifically designed education systems to train them to follow orders exactly and to not be creative. They did not want them being creative because a lot of these people were running cotton mills and uh, factories making furniture or uh, automotive or not automotive, but, but uh, mechanical uh, devices. And they found that whenever somebody got creative, it screwed up the assembly line. So the, the deep and interesting challenge that we face is that our education systems to this day are still running on the same model. If you look at the corporate sponsors behind almost every major university, they're people that have an agenda, such as chemical manufacturers that manufacture fertilizer and pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, and fungicides sponsor most all the major agricultural programs in the United States. So you get a guy like William A. Albrecht, who published 800 legitimate papers on soil science, was eventually pushed out of the university because the chemical companies that were sponsoring the university basically ultimatum the school. You either get rid of, rid of Albrecht or we're not going to fund your school anymore. So he was forced out of his professorship. You got Fritz Albert Pop who is the pioneer of, of scientific research into photon emission and showed in a research paper that you could clearly see the difference between commercially raised food and organically raised food by looking at photon emission. And he developed the first uh, device that was capable of identifying and counting single photons for this specific project that he was doing with one of his students was doing a PhD process underneath him. And he showed that whenever you look at the photon emission from organically raised foods, there is a lot more light leaving the food. It's got a lot more energy. It's like a battery with a lot more energy, but there is tremendous coherence in the photon emissions. But when he showed imag imaging studies of commercially raised food, the food was very, very weak and the photon emission was quite chaotic. There's two key things that to be recognized here. We have to remember that our standard Western model of nutrition, which is based on scientific materialism, it's all about molecules, substances, has nothing to do with energy or information. It's all about calorie counting and this has this molecule or that vitamin. That's a very dangerous model, but what we have to remember is that food is actually a source of energy and all energy is information and our body needs the information available to the foods, particularly the foods that grow in our own environment where we're from, because those foods grow seasonally and they contain the types of energy and information that are necessary 
to maintain what we would call the base operational software of our cellular physiology and balance our energetic flow. For example, no Eskimo would ever be eating pineapple or watermelon in the winter because it would have a completely disruptive effect on their body. It would cool them down and make it hard for them to stay warm. It would cause tremendous increase in caloric consumption because they would have to do, the body would have to upregulate its basal metabolic rate to keep the body warm. So there what you see is a watermelon or a pineapple isn't just food and molecules. It's a source of light and light has an infinite capacity to carry information just like water does. And food is largely light and water. Mm -hmm. So when people don't realize that they're eating information that's telling the body what to do, for example, you drink a cup of coffee. Well, it does not tell your body to relax. And it does not tell your body to retain fluids. It tells your body to accelerate and it is a very drying effect on the body. So it tells your body to release fluids, which leads to dehydration and, and a long list of other problems. So Fritz Albert Pop's research was quite revolutionary because it was undeniable and objective evidence that commercial farm, commercially farmed food of any type was very inferior. His reward for publishing that groundbreaking research was that he showed up to his lab the day after his paper was released and his lab had been shut down, his equipment had been confiscated and his entire staff was told not to speak to him where they could lose their job. Now, so what you see is two things unfolding here. Our education system is designed to teach us what to think, not how to think. I come, as you probably know, from a farming background, and I've studied soil science, and I've lived on a working farm and know exactly what you have to do and what you can't do or you'll have big trouble, and was raised by a yogi as a mother. My father's a highly intelligent man with a degree in agriculture. He was a special effects man for Universal Studios for many years and is a highly skilled in many areas and, and one of the most capable human beings I've ever met as far as making anything happen. He's an underwater blaster, underwater welder. Um, he, can, he can make stained glass. He can do chainsaw carving. He can build anything. And um, that's why he worked in the special effects department. So I was raised in an environment, and my mother's a, a highly skilled and recognized sculptor and um, spinner and weaver. So I come from an environment where you have to do the things that work or you'll starve to death. And both of my parents were highly intelligent and creative and didn't put a lot of emphasis on academic training. Their philosophy was you have to learn enough to navigate the world so you can go out and do what you want to do without, you know, not if you don't know how to balance your checkbook, you'll be in trouble. So their philosophy was you you leave home the day you quit going to school, but as long as you're in school, you can stay here. So I got so sick of school and so frustrated that by about the third month of the 10th grade, I just left and I left home at age 16 because I had no desire to be in school. And I also had no desire to keep hanging around with people learning about rubber trees in India or how people made textiles in India or whatever 
the silliness of the day was and <laughs> knew that I could make a living out in the real world. And so I've never looked back. But the the issues that we're talking about here are corporate control using the educational system. And I mean, I've had many people take courses with me. This is a very common occurrence. In fact, I just had one sent to me by Instagram. Somebody said, I just studied your primal pattern training workshop online, I think it was, and learned more in two hours than I had than I did in one year in university. No surprise. I've had many, many people tell me that they learned more in a three-day workshop with me than in four years in exercise and sports science training. And these are common comments. The point I'm making to is that universities pile up so much meaningless stuff to keep people tied up so that they can extract lots of money. Most people spend somewhere between 60 and 100,000 bucks by the time they get their uh, four-year degree or and then, you know, worse with a master's and worse with a PhD. But when it comes to actually applying the information, there's almost no hands-on training in university. But Paul, can I just, can I just, I just want to say, what's so frustrating about that as well is once you know, you know, but there's so many people out there that know, so that would fight you on this because you don't have a PhD or don't have a master's or whatever. Even though you'd, um, I'm sure you've done it before many times, you could, I mean, I have doctors come on my program, I'm sure you have them on yours, and you can annihilate the knowledge. But it's like the way they've been, as you say, the way they've been brainwashed, it's like people will still go to them rather than you. Your course, I think your holistic health coach gets the top seven years worth of knowledge, you know, um, and it's just so frustrating for someone like me. It's almost like, I know, and, and actually, from just getting, I've been in this nine years now, from the results I get, it starts off people going, oh, it's a bit woo-woo, and now people are like, oh my God, if I've got a problem, I'll, I'll go see Ryan. Um, same with you, but for the masses, it's like, does it ever get on your nerves, having to just sort of like, fight the battle of understand these guys don't know what they're talking about, and it's sort of like, but you've got to try and be diplomatic about it, you don't want to be seen as an arsehole, um, but you've also got to be a matter of fact, and just back yourself, because you know what you do is right. Well, you know, I, my philosophy is everybody's loving the best that they can mm -hmm. and everyone's doing the best they can with the conditioning they have and the belief systems they've been indoctrinated into. So, you know, I see what I teach people is that all the doctors and therapists in the world, even the ones that we may not really agree with their approach, have some kind of specific knowledge. So each of us is a carrier of a piece of the truth. And what I tell people is that these people are not trained in a holistic view. They don't understand systems integration. They don't understand the integration of man and nature or man in the world. They only look at the physical body and measurable things, but they forget, for example, that you can't weigh and measure a person's thoughts, feelings, emotions, or what we call the soul, but it's what's animating the body. So you go to a, a doctor and they do functional medicine testing on you and they say your adrenals are burned out, but that doesn't tell you anything about how they got burned out. If you have a parasite infection, that doesn't tell you anything about how you got the infection. If you've got arthritis or irritable bowel syndrome, their tests tell you what you have, but they don't tell you anything about what you did, the choices you made and the way you were living that created the problem. 
So when you don't address the actual etiology, it's like pulling the top off a weed and wondering why two days later your garden's full of weeds again. And so I tell my students and I tell my patients, you have to use these people like tools in a toolbox. But if you try to use a hammer for everything, you'll make a mess of the place. (laughs) And as I often say, if all you've got in your pocket is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. So chiropractors think everything is a joint subluxation. Nutritionists think everything is some kind of vitamin deficiency. Musculoskeletal therapists think it's all muscles and joints. Massage therapists think it's all trigger points and scar tissue. Uh, General practitioners generally think everything's a drug deficiency. Um, So it takes a well-trained and well-seasoned person because to have the kind of knowledge that a check level four does, someone like Warren Williams does, it takes seven years to complete the training that I've developed. You've got PPS success mastery training, which is learning how to manage yourself at the physical, emotional, and mental level. That's a year and a half for most people. You got a year and a half of holistic lifestyle coach training and four years of corrective and high-performance exercise training. And now I also have my check four quadrant coaching mastery, which is, uh, you know, the biggest program I've ever put together. So in all fairness to those people out there, most people were born and raised in the milieu of this dysfunctional system. Mm -hmm. So their whole mental structure is based on making judgments based on their programming. And at one time I had, excuse me, at one time I had 36 doctors seeing me as patients. Why? Because none of their buddies that were doctors could figure them out. So they ended up finding out, wait a minute, this is the guy that keeps helping me with the toughest patients I've got when no one else knows what to do. Maybe I should go see him. So for a huge number of years, almost all my clients were doctors or doctor's wives or doctor's children. But then you help them and they go back teaching the same stuff. Well, actually, a lot of them don't. No, um, didn't. That's good. No, they don't. Um, many of them made changes. I've had many doctors hire Czech holistic lifestyle coaches to work in their facilities. Awesome. Um, many of them go make the changes in their own life. But as we discussed earlier, they're very uh, nervous about implementing too much of that stuff in their practice because they run the risk of being attacked by the medical association. So it puts some of them actually into a bit of a a crisis of self because they realize after I've rehabilitated them and taught them the things they need to know that they're selling a lie to people. They're selling really weed pulling from the top, not getting the roots out. And so they go into a crisis and and it's very uh, common that they have deep emotional discussions with me about, Paul, I would love to do what you're doing, but how do I make a living doing that and how can I do that in my practice without uh, being put at risk of of uh, having my medical license taken away? Um, so there is a lot of doctors out there that genuinely want to make the transition, but our system is designed to police them so that, uh, you know, the powers that look, this is why the church killed witches and this is why the Bible is written <laughs> specifically to stop you from doing things like dousing to find water or following the seasons to know when to plant food because they wanted the priests to control everything. So, the, you, you know, the Bible is really very much like 
a manual for mental control. Researchers in the field of brainwashing showed the Catholic Church had brainwashing mastered by the 8th century AD and have been perfecting it ever since. And it's no surprise that the Vatican's the wealthiest corporation in the world. So when you look at the connection between religious ideology, religious programming, scientific materialism, the scientific establishment, and when you look at the ties between the chemical corporation, the food corporation, the transportation corporations, the drug companies, the medical industry, and the media corporations, you find that it's about 85 people that have greatest control over the majority of the world that are making the most of the money. And, you know, for example, 90% of the food in the world is delivered by only five different corporations. So we have a very, very dangerous situation because people don't realize that when 90% of your food is provided by five major corporations, they can shut the flow of that food off anytime they want to and have total control over people. And, and I'm not proposing a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying, look, I was a soldier. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. We were trained how to control an enemy. And the first thing you do is you knock out communications and you knock out food supply. The Romans did it, right? What's that? The Romans did the same thing. Well, exactly. And the Romans used to actually go salt the fields of their enemies so their plants wouldn't grow. So the, when you look at what's going on from a big picture, our communications have been knocked out because we don't actually get told the truth. We get programmed to believe what they want us to believe on television and media. And there's no, it's no surprise that iPhones and all these video-based technologies are so popular because if you look into the science of how much you can program into light that affects the unconscious of an individual – they got rid of subliminal programming, but they went far beyond it to make subliminal programming that isn't being picked up and isn't being policed. And as I said, light carries an infinite capacity to carry information, so you can put truckloads of light. For example, almost everything you see in a movie is carefully placed there to get you to buy something or to get you to believe that you have to have something in order to achieve a certain status so there's a lot of science behind the use of media and there's a lot of science behind the use of phones. And uh, you've got now huge amounts of video game addiction and porn addiction and all of these things are essentially ways of controlling people, pacifying them and keeping them trapped in a very narrow bandwidth so that they're easy to sell to, easy to control and easy to get to conform. And then, like you said in the beginning, people say guys like me are weirdos or idiots or whatever, but because they're so trapped in the programming, they don't recognize wisdom when it's staring them in the face. I've told many people, if Jesus Christ was to come back to this planet and show up in church, chances are very good that they would throw him out and think he was some kind of a bum and probably would crucify him again. Mm. So... It's a complex issue, but well, these people, these people that are doing all this, Paul, that, that are running the food and and the program and the medical industries. I mean, they're human as well. Don't don't they realize? Don't they? They always think like, aren't they? They must be aware that they're destroying the planet. They're destroying the the. Is in they're just the monocrops. They're destroying. They say about you can't 
you can't uh, feed the world in organic farming, which is absolute bullshit. Um, you know, they, they say all these things about overpopulation, and uh, but, but, but it's just the way they're polluting the world, the water supply, everything they're doing, you know. Um, only using three three minerals to go back into to fertilizers, NPK, etc. Yeah. They must know that this is this isn't going to end well, surely. Well, yes, but you have to remember there's it's deeper than this, and and yes, of course, that's a logical thing to think. But have you ever known somebody with an alcohol problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How many times does the family tell someone who's an alcoholic that they have alcohol problems and they need to go to therapy or counseling and the person says, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm doing fine, quit irritating me, you're pissing me off, and it's only when they crash into somebody's car and kill a child or uh, someone else and end up in jail that they finally get to the point where they admit that they have a drug problem. Well, when you've got corporations as large as drug companies and companies like Monsanto and General Mills and GlaxoSmithKline and Bayer, you're talking about people that are so deep into their addiction to profit and profitability that they simply manufacture a counter-truth to support their own addiction, just like an alcoholic manufactures a counter-truth until it's undeniable because there's people dying everywhere. Now, we've got people dying everywhere, but you've got to realize they've turned that into an even more profitable industry. And research shows they've got drugs designed for human beings from the minute they're out of the womb and even in the womb all the way to the day they die on a schedule. And they even manufacture diagnoses and publish them in the um, – I forgot the name of it. It's the book that physicians use for diagnosis, but uh, they publish these things. And then when you look into psychosomatic medicine, you see all you got to do is tell somebody they have something and they believe it. And that's, you know, you know what a placebo is. Well, there's a thing called a nocebo. If you misdiagnose someone and tell them they have cancer, there's many studies showing that they'll actually manifest the cancer because they believe the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So what we have really is um, we have a situation where people have come to become accustomed to a certain level of power, a certain level of financial success, and a certain level of control over people, and the perception that they're doing well in the world because they have fancy cars, nice clothes, live in nice homes, and have things that other people can't have, that to really do what we need to do to balance the world would would require us to go to a much more egalitarian approach or a truly truly, uh, democratic approach, which means paying attention to what we all experience, what we all need and looking into what is actually happening. But they bury research, as you know, the the vaccination industry is just a perfect example. I was, was, was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're You know, to me, that's just evil right there and total manipulation of the truth. And they've been caught so many times. And as you know, there's many documentaries out, but they just keep, 
hiring spin doctors to twist it. A good example is Shell Oil, right? They spill millions of gallons of oil in the ocean. And the next thing you know, there's pictures on television, commercials on television of so-called shell workers pulling birds out of the oil that are covered in oil, claiming that they're working to support the environment. So they actually take their own disaster and make it look like they're now some kind of a altruistic nature-loving company when it's just absolute bullshit. So at the end of the day, you see, you know, in, in Christian theology, it said money is the root of all evil. Well, it turns out to be uncomfortably true. And so in a nutshell, if you just consider what we've talked about so far, you can see that it's a very, very complex situation that human beings have got themselves into. And as you probably know from the study of history, this is not the first time. We're like, we will be the sixth empire to collapse. And it's happened with the Egyptians, it happened with the Romans, it happened with the Mayans, it happened with the Incas. And what you see is civilizations reach a higher and higher level of size and complexity until they collapse the environment or collapse the, their own systems because the level of complexity cannot be maintained by the foundation of simplicity. Well, the foundation of simplicity is earth, water, fire, air, and um you know, basically the elements of we have to have healthy soil, we have to have clean, healthy water, we have to have fresh air to breathe, and we have to, fires, we have to have a healthy metabolism, but fire is also the sun. I mean, everything made of plants is made of sunlight encapsulated in plant material, which then feeds animals to become flesh. So everything that we have here really is dependent upon the sun, the earth, the water and the air, and we've reached the point now where we're making lots of money in ways that has destroyed the infrastructure that allows us to play all of these silly games. And if we don't reorient ourselves and use the level of science we've developed positively, use computer science, use research, use lab testing to figure out what we need to do to balance the soil and be honest about what we need to do. I mean, if you just look at the amount of suicide and disease amongst children, it's at the highest levels it's ever been. It should be kind of clear to people that there's a bit of a paradox at hand. We have more doctors, more therapists, more gyms, more healthcare opportunities per capita than ever in the history of man, yet we are the sickest people we've ever been. So. I mean, if anyone's just honest with themselves, the, the report card for all the scientific materialism is a serious F. Oh, yes, yeah. we, we can put people on the moon, but we can't even feed our children. Can we? I don't know. Do we go to the moon? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, that's another dialogue, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite confident that the answer is yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. I, I, Remember, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, and my job was to repair weapon systems on Cobra helicopters. So I've had an inside look at the technology we have, and I've studied extensively, and I've also listened to uh, uh, astronauts. And Edgar Mitchell is a man who devoted his life to consciousness research and is one of the most intelligent, capable human beings that walked this planet. And he walked on the moon. and 
that is that would be like the Dalai Lama lying to you. Okay. It just ain't gonna happen. So, um, you know, that I know all about that sort of theory and, and all that, but I think that one. So- it's just it just gets to the point, Paul, where yeah. they lie about so much. You never know. You never think, you never know. It's just one of those things where I just always be skeptical because I like to do my own research and find the truth. And certain things, you never, look, I'm never going to go, I'm never going to be an astronaut. Um, so I'm never really going to find out, you know. <laughs> but either yeah. way, either way, yeah, you, you take on board and you listen to the people and you, you do your own research. But this is one of the things that you were just talking about there. We've gone so far. Um, it's like we've almost gone, we've almost gone to the point of, there's just so much madness in the world now. Like I wanted to talk to you. You talk about Adam and Eve um, and about Christ and their actual origins and people not actually understanding them. And I think it's it's going to the point of now you've got men and women, this whole feminist movement where they're saying, well, men and women are the same and, and that men should be looking after the children and as much as the women. And I'm like, this is nothing to do with being a male chauvinist or anything. This is just to do with health. Like There's a reason that women have a uterus and they have a womb. And yeah. you know when you've seen you studied before, say before, when the men went to war, the crops, the yield increased because because that's that's what they do. They're, they're, they're nurturing, um, and, and men are very different. They have very different energy and yin and yang. And for people yeah. to talk about men and women are just the same, and you know all the just gender this gender sort of thing going on. And I don't want gender transgender stuff and everything. That's what whatever you want to be. That's fine, but. Men and women aren't the same. The yin and yang and the way the world is, people have just gone so... We, we think that we're above nature, and this is a huge problem. And I think it's going to cause yeah. big issues in every which way. Well, you can track that right to the uh, book of Genesis in the Bible, where it implies that you know man is, is the superior being in nature, and that we're, you know, we inherited the earth to do what we wanted to do with. So that has its origins right in religious ideology. Um, and you, then you look at Judaism and the belief about being the chosen people. So what I'm saying is, is that this whole kind of ideology comes from religious programming. And it's a complete misunderstanding of nature. And if you look at the science of the differences between men and women, they're very, very profound and distinct. For example, a woman has 30% more commissorial fibers connecting the left and right brain hemisphere than a man does. Women are inherently more intuitive than men on average. And a woman's designed so she has a lot more awareness of what's going on in the environment. She's kind of like a radar system. And she has to be that way because imagine being a woman in nature a thousand years ago and where were the men they were out hunting and fishing and and doing things that men are wired to do which i can talk about in a minute but a woman had to be able to know and still does need to be able to know where her children are at without seeing them and most mothers know before the child is about to break something or hurt themselves they feel inside themselves an urgency and they almost know exactly where to run to look in a 5,000 square foot house. They know right where to go even when they don't know. And that's because they have this massive amount of traffic between the two hemispheres, the logical, if you want to use that model, and the intuitive or the feeling nature. So a woman's 
much, much more in touch with her inner feelings and with her sense of what's happening in the immediate environment than men are. And as a therapist who's been working with people for 32 years, far, far easier is it to work with women than men in general, because one, they come before the bottom hit falls out. They sense there's something wrong and they come get help while they're still helpable. Men tend to wait until either they, their dick doesn't work or they can't shift gears in their car or play with their favorite toy. And, and when that's threatened, now they're interested in getting help, but then they often don't want to do the homework or the therapy or the stretches and exercises. They just want to take a pill, drink their beer and stare at a television and, and get, get back to that sort of stuff. Now, of course, I'm being stereotypical here, but there's a function for stereotypical expressions. Women are radically different in their sensitivity to hormonal regulation because the woman's body is designed to carry two life forms, hers and the fetus, or even more because women can have twins or triplets or even more. So the woman's sensitivity to the environment and her physiological reaction to things like stimulants such as caffeine are much faster and stronger than a typical male. I say women are like Ferraris. They're beautiful. They handle nicely, but they go out of tune every month. <laughs> yeah, true. I like that. Men are pickup trucks. You can throw all kinds of shit in them. You don't have to wash them very much. You can back them into fences and they'll just keep on going. And a man's brain is wired the way it is because if it did, if it had all the, if you tried to put a woman's brain in a man's head, imagine trying to throw a spear at a dangerous animal like a saber-toothed tiger and you got one shot to hit it before it eats you and all of a sudden you think, oh my God, my kid just hurt themselves. Mm. Or, oh, we forgot to go, we forgot to get food for dinner. Well, the instant that happens and you lose focus, you're dead. And it's also been studied in enlightenment research or consciousness research. Uh, you know, if you really want to get into this, there's a phenomenal book called Streams of Wisdom by Dustin DiPerna. And it shows you the current research on how consciousness grows and develops. But one of the things that we that, that are noticed when they're looking into this type of research is that far more men reach enlightenment than women do. And so that's been a question for a long time. Well, one of the conclusions is, A, men for thousands of years have had the freedom to leave home and leave the kids with the women, and the women were better at agriculture, better at nurture, and kind of better at keeping the house warm, and the man's better out in the woods doing the dangerous stuff, hunting. So because that structure is already built into our social relationships, men go off, and instead of hunting an animal, they go hunt God or hunt consciousness, and they sit in caves and meditate for years at a time. So the other thing is that a man's mind is wired for more direct focus. And when you're doing deep spiritual development techniques, it requires very, very specific focus of the mind. And so in many ways, it's easier for a man to penetrate the depths of consciousness because it takes the same the same thing that it turns out to be necessary for effective hunting 
works when you're hunting for anything. And when you have a system that was designed by nature where women are the nest protectors and the nest supporters and men are the hunters and the protectors of the tribe, they're the ones that go off to war and may never come home, then it's more natural for a man to leave the home nest and go off and do these deep periods of spiritual penetration. So there is an example. Men on average have about 30% more muscle mass, approximately 20 to 30% more muscle mass. So if you take a 65 kilo male and a 65 kilo woman, you'll find that the male has about, uh, excuse me, it's about 30% more strength relative to body weight. So take a man and a woman the same weight, the male will be about 30% stronger. And that has a lot to do with what's called anthropometrics, which means the structure of their body, such as Q angle, fast twitch fiber populations. Women have more slow twitch muscle fiber. And a guy named Robbie Parker, a physiologist from Australia did research showing that on average, a woman uses 40% less energy to walk a mile than a male. Does. Right. Why? Because they have to carry kids. They have to have a big, they got to be pregnant from so time to time. It's almost like our energy systems are, comp- I mean, they're completely different because of the functions that we actually set out to do. I think I've even yes. heard uh, research has showed that, I mean, the central nervous system of a woman can take a lot more pain than we can because of childbirth, correct? Yeah, uh, research shows that if a man, if the average male was exposed to the pain of natural childbirth, it would kill him. His really? nervous system <laughs> not designed to handle that much pain. In fact, in native cultures, this was well known. And one of the problems that women have always had with men is a lack of empathy because without as much left-right brain connections, men don't tend to feel as much empathy as women do. So, and remember, we've only been in a patriarchal, patriarchal culture for a few thousand years. Prior to that, we were in a matriarchal culture, and research shows that the, um, the, the way the culture is run tends to flip over about every 4,000 years. So we go through cycles of about 4,000 years of women being in charge followed by a period of men being in charge. And now we're coming back to women. Slowly we're merging into women being in charge. And and the whole women's live movement is sort of like the uprising of that transitional state. But you now have women prime ministers. You have women running major corporations. You have women uh, Formula One drivers. You have top women drag racers. You've got women reaching the top in sports that men never ever dreamed that they would be up in. So we're still in a uh, matriarchal culture, but but it wasn't that long ago in history that women controlled the tribes. Women, you know, the chief was maybe the head figure, but it was the chief women that that controlled what was actually being done. And so I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, so we've we've really I lost where I was taking you with that one, but the point I was trying to get to I think is just that women have uh, been in positions of power in periods of time, and men don't have as much of a capacity for nurture. So what the women elders did in native cultures was invented a nice little thing called the sweat lodge. Are you familiar with what a sweat lodge is? No, go for it. It might, might be. Go for it. Well, a sweat lodge is 
done typically in a small hut that's usually made out of branches mm -hmm. overlaid and then covered with usually woolen blankets or animal skins and then they light a fire outside and they get rocks they get big rocks and they heat the rocks up as hot as they can get them and then they all get inside the tent and the shaman or the medicine man leading the ceremony, which is often the head woman will be involved, would bring the men and they would pack people inside that like sardines. And they put these hot rocks in a little dugout in the ground like a fire pit. And then they pour water on them and they fill that tent with blistering hot steam. And you go into a very intensively hot sort of steam bath sauna experience and there's four rounds to it. It usually you're usually in there for around oh the sweat lodges I've been in are about 40 45 minutes and the heat is brutally intense and it the first both times that I've done it I was I was pushed right to the edge of myself. I was on my hands and knees with my face on the ground trying to <laughs> I was going into a state of heat exhaustion. It was so high. I was getting high and, and you know, like I've had heat exhaustion as a triathlete. So and, and what was this for? Well, the women designed this because the sweat lodge is a recapitulation of the womb. Right. And the heat is the process of going through the heat is to teach men what it's like to be pregnant and how much stress it is on their body. So the women developed the sweat lodge concept to, to train men to have a sense of understanding for how hard the life of a woman is and to have more empathy and compassion and to learn to have more respect for women. And one of the things you find right away is women do better in, in, in a sweat lodge situation than most men do because they're just tougher. <laughs> no, yeah, I can imagine that. But then, Paul, just, but what do you think is going to happen, though, if, so if, if men, if it's like, if the society goes that way and and thinks that everyone's equal and etc. Not equals in look when it comes to rights etc. That's fine, but in terms of health and in terms of um, nurturing life and more men stay at home with the kids and women go out to work, do you think that will change the dynamics of, of how the child grows? Well, yes, it, it can be very very da damaging, and I don't think it'll ever get that far because it simply won't work. Um, men are not wired, you know. Um, look, I have a two-year-old boy. I have a 39-year-old from my first marriage, and I've got a two-year-old from my third marriage. Keep you young? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally wild and fun, and I love my little guy. His name's Mana, which means life force, and he is very much the life force. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm a 56-year-old man. I've already gone through my tough guy phase, and I'm, I'm pretty – in touch with myself and I'll tell you what to, to be with Mana for a few hours is enough to just wear me out. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, how does Angie handle him all day long? Right. And, and the emotions and the upheavals and the, you know, not only that kids need breasts, you know, native cultures found that it was very important to breastfeed children for the first two to three years or they didn't develop a healthy microbiome, their immune systems weren't healthy, and they did not develop what's called a secure attachment to the mother, which is essential for the growth and development of their brain, their psyche, and their um, overall sense of self. So you can't place a woman with a man like that. There's just no possible way. 
what's going to happen is we're going to have a complete revolution of very screwed up children. And I'm not saying that men should not be much more involved in child raising. I think that's healthy. I think nature designed it so that the parents function as a unit. What's really the problem is that we're chasing after money at and making it more important than being healthy and raising children in a healthy. So you've got people who have women who have to work as a man and hiring a babysitter while their husband's at work because they're driving fancy cars, wearing fancy clothes and living a lifestyle that excludes their ability to actually do what's important. If they scaled all that back to something that was more realistic and sustainable, and they only needed one of them to work 40 hours a week to pay the bills, then you'd have movement towards a balanced family unit. But we're, we, first we got to the point where uh, the industrial age and, and shall we say capitalism drove men to have to work excessively to cover the cost of the family. So men are always gone at work. Children rarely ever see their fathers except for on the weekends if they're lucky. So there's this disconnect already, but now we're making it so the women also have to go to work and kids are getting raised by Game Boys, televisions, and 13-year-old girls that couldn't really give a shit half the time. And so we're seeing a progressive destruction of the family unit, which is ultimately part of the collapse that's inevitable if it keeps going. Mm -hmm. It's just, and you just hear, I mean, I've seen some women out there saying how, how um, <laughs> it's funny, feminist movement. I mean, it's just uh, they don't need breast milk. Breast milk's not important, and uh, it goes into things that I just think, if you actually think about them logically, it's just too lally. People say, "Oh yeah, but um, we adapt. We're not like we were before." It's like, well, you can't get rid of hundreds of thousands of years of genetics just because we've now got Wi-Fi and it's 2018. You know, um, these things don't change. I mean, it's in typical: a man's a man, a woman's a woman, and the reason we're like that, you say yin and yang, we go together. And there's reasons why you, you have a uterus and you have breast milk. And, you know, children are meant to come through the vaginal wall. You know, it's, it's, they're there for a reason. Um, it's just, it just baffles me when people try to say, yeah, well, things are that. It's like, yeah, but not that much. <laughs> well, you have to realize that most of these opinions are coming from people that are dangerously uneducated and just think that because they read something on the Internet or some piled higher and deeper doctor said something ridiculously, ridiculously silly on a television show or a documentary that they believe it and they just regurgitate it. And this is what I meant when I said we have a world full of children and adult bodies. They don't have adult capacity to discern logic and intelligence from silliness. I think they're and, also, yeah, I was to say they're also so, a lot of them are so, so unhealthy, I don't even know if they can making a healthy discussion anyway. I mean, their blood's just a toxic soup. I don't know if they can think right a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's really just part of the breakdown of our culture. We're at a point now where uh, we don't really have much consensus of agreement by experts on anything. And I think that's actually quite beautiful because it's now at a point where if people don't start taking responsibility for themselves, they're all going to die. They, they, we are at the point where we can clearly see we can't rely on doctors to tell us the truth. We can't rely on politicians. We can't rely on bankers. We can't rely on the media. We can't rely on the newspapers. We can't rely on, on our presidents 
and our prime ministers. Could we have them? We basically now have got to take responsibility for ourselves and start asking ourselves this one question, is it working? Yeah. When I take this pill, is it working? Results, right? When I eat this food, is it working? Mm-hmm. And as I often say, look, nobody gets obese overnight. you got to work at that for many years. It takes most researchers in the field of cancer say it takes somewhere between 10 and 15 years to get cancer. Your body eventually cannot protect you anymore because it's too depleted and too um, run down. But you don't get cancer overnight. What I'm saying is if people would just pay attention and instead of following what some article says or some expert says, and that's what I teach my patients, I tell my students and patients, I tell my students and patients, don't believe a word I say, go try it and see what happens and make your own decision. I don't want them to think that I'm trying to impose the word of God. I'm simply teaching a way of processing information and experience so you can make your own decisions. Really what I teach through the Czech Institute is a system of assessing an individual so you know what data to gather so that then you can make intelligent decisions about how to design corrective programs designed specifically to help that person achieve their dream goal or objective, but not for a specific accomplishment of the therapist. In other words, the therapist isn't supposed to say, well, I want you to train like a triathlete because I train like a triathlete, or I'm going to make you train like a bodybuilder because I'm a bodybuilder. The therapist is supposed to ask the client, what is it that you want to do? Oh, I want to be able to play with my grandchildren for the rest of my life without this chronic back and knee pain or gut problems. So the therapist's Czech professionals are supposed to design the diet and lifestyle program specifically to support that person, which means that you have to have a very diverse understanding of how to apply concepts of happiness, diet, quiet, and movement, because someone who's a grandmother is a radically different person than a 20-year-old elite female dancer or athlete. It's different than a businesswoman. So you have to kind of... um, realize that we are all at a point where human beings are now given the opportunity to start paying attention to their authentic needs and getting clear on what their dream is, or they're going to keep recapitulating the mistakes of yesterday like Groundhog Day until the world just collapses in on itself. And we're not far off, unfortunately. That's what I was was thinking. You said there as well, right? You can't argue with results. It's funny. They put another fluke. (laughs) Whoops. It would get results. And as you said, you're teaching the foundations and people go away and try it. And, you know, you say, like, um, we're different on the inside as we are on the outside. So people are going to be different, but the foundational principles are going to remain. If you say of water, rest, diet, exercise, and yeah. getting things right. But so you, you yeah. Talk, yeah. So you talked about um, different documentaries there and, and, and people watching different things and, and watching. So one of the ones that's been out, I know you did a little thing on it on YouTube channel, like what the health, but there's this massive vegan movement movement at the moment and there's a lot of dogma around it. And, um, you know, I just, it, for, for, for example, I know going vegan can be very beneficial in the short term, cleansing body because a lot of people are eating the wrong stuff anyway, so it cleanses their body. But 
um, for sorry for short term can be very beneficial, but long term, I mean, I deal with quite a lot of vegans with issues. I'm sure you do. Um, long term issues. A lot of people go into it. They do it for three um, to six months, or maybe a year, and they're like, I feel really good, and then they start to crash, and they don't understand why, and they listen to all this um, propaganda that's been espoused by people that can probably do really well in it um, or not. But I mean, what what would you say to these? newfound vegans etc or what should they look out for because i've got people coming to me and you know after a while i, I tell them the reason you're probably ill is because you're vegan but i know there's lots of different um well some people can thrive on it but there's lots of different theories out there and one of them is saying oh we shouldn't be eating we shouldn't be eating meat because our our gut our digestive system isn't designed to even have meat i'd love for you to answer that but also you know i just think it's a lot of vegans they come from it because They've read one vegan book or they've read the vegan way and they think that's the only way. But they don't yeah. go they don't go out there and read the other side of the other side of the story, which is the carnivore diet and all these people that are curing diseases just by eating meat. because it's almost like having a dogma. Now what would you I mean you go go ahead. Well I don't know what you think about this. Well I probably well, do know, but it's a complex issue. So I'll cover a few things uh in in, in the as succinctly as I can, because this could be a very long conversation. And I've been interviewed on this issue many, many times, and I've written a lot about it. In fact, I wrote two articles titled Vegetarianism Inside Out, Part 1 and 2. So if you haven't read those, you might want to read them. I think you can get them from my ppssuccess.com site in the library section or maybe the Czech Institute. If you can't find them, feel free to email Penny and, and she'll lend them for you. But I address these issues in there. Um, uh, but some of the key things we've got to look at here. One, let's look at it from a psychological level first. Human beings throughout antiquity, throughout our development as developmental human beings, almost all cultures and tribes in the world took children through and a ceremony to become an adult. It was called a rite of passage ceremony. And Hi there. Hold on. So, <laughs> is thinking that I'm asking uh, it a question, but I'm not. Um, we we've we've traditionally gone through a rite of passage ceremony. For women, it starts when they begin to menstruate, and so. Almost all cultures have ceremonies for women to celebrate that they're now no longer a child, they're a woman. And there's certain mythological uh, teachings. There's um, various rites of passage ceremonies. There's things that they have to go through to be able to navigate the challenges of being an adult woman and a contributor to a tribe in the, for the young men. Most of these ceremonies were carefully designed and they were very, very painful. They often would do things like in some of the African rites of passage, all the elders and, and, and adults in the tribe line up and create a pathway. So there's a line of people and the young initiate has to run down this path and they're beating the hell out of them with sticks. And they're very careful because they want to take them as close to death as they can without disabling them. There's many other ceremonies, including the use of psychedelic medicines to take them into uh, a recapitulation of the death experience. So what happens is there's a real visceral 
awareness that I'm a man now or I'm a woman now. And that's part, it's been studied by Carl Jung extensively. Joseph Campbell did extensive research on this. Uh, there's a number of people that have basically laid out the relevance of our psyche's development and the need for these initiations or rites of passage. But with the industrialization of the world, with the uh, invention of the school systems we talked about, with the um, religious influence, we have lost our rites of passage. So we now are a culture full of children wearing adult bodies and unconsciously we're looking for something to stand up for, something to believe in and something to fight for. So just like you have people that run off and join cults or you've got people, if you study the current series on Netflix on Osho, you see how people fell for everything he said, hook, line and sinker and became just uh, you know, totally controlled. Um, we are now still in the throes, except what's happened is the drug companies, the scientists and the doctors and the politicians have become the miniature gods that are controlling everything. So we don't really have a structured mythology. A mythology is a very, very essential system that is a story about life, but it teaches the individual about four key functions that you have to understand. It teaches the individual how to stay in a state of awe and worship of the magical mystery of life in the world and the universe. Like, how is it that we're here? There's something very big going on, but it's so big that even with modern science, we still can't wrap our head around it. Where you know, science keeps figuring out that its ideas yesterday don't work today. A good example of that is around the year 1900, physicists thought that they had learned everything there was to learn and they had no frontiers to explore. And all of a sudden you had quantum physics and showed that physics is very, very inept and it's not as accurate as quantum physics, but quantum physics turns concepts of physics inside out and, and basically blew the paradigm to pieces. So you see that even at the highest levels of science, there's still an ongoing myth because nobody can really establish objectively what's going on on a grand cosmological scale. So tribal myths were essential because they were a means of bringing a person into a state of awe and reverence for the world and reverence for the universe and the stars and everything that was going on. Then you had rights and wrongs, the proprieties and improprieties. Who is your tribe? Who are your people? And who are your enemies? And what are the rules of engagement? If you don't have rules of engagement, then you just have mass slaughter all the time. So a myth contains the proprietary rights of how do you engage your own people? How do you act in your own culture? What is, what is a yes and a no? How do you handle issues of sex? How do you handle issues of theft? How do you deal with the things that are essential for any tribe to survive? Then we have the psychological elements of how do we understand the transition from birth to childhood to adulthood to 
middle age responsibilities to old age and death. And a, and a myth is designed to educate people in the tribe how to engage each of these cycles and to honor them and respect them and to know what is uh, what is it that you should be doing and what is it that's a normal responsibility for somebody at that phase of life development. So without a long exhausted explanation, but what I'm trying to show you here is that it takes a myth and Joseph Campbell showed that whenever a culture loses its myth, it, it goes into a state of destruction because there is no coherent guiding influence. We are a mythless world culture right now. Native American Indians and all native societies had guiding myths and that's what sustained them. That's what kept them connected to a higher power beyond themselves. But we've come to believe that doctors and science actually is the highest power. And if you can't weigh it and measure it, it's not true, which is a very, very dangerous thing, because what a human being is capable of comprehending relative to the magnitude of the universe is like a thimble full of the Pacific Ocean at best. Mm -hmm. But we get so cocky. So the point that I'm driving toward here, which is a very important one, what you see with veganism, what you see with vegetarianism what you see with hardcore exercise. I mean, remember, I'm a guy that was lecturing. I'm probably the pioneer of functional exercise. I was lecturing on functional exercise and showing them that all the machines in the gym were ruining people. In 1988, I was traveling around lecturing all over, and I was blowing people's minds right out of their heads and getting people right pissed off because conference directors would start getting pressured by the sponsors, people like hammer strength and cybex because whenever i would lecture nobody would buy anything from them because they were able to see the the science and how the body really works and realize they were making a big mistake i introduced the swiss ball to the exercise to the gym industry i'm the guy that pioneered the whole thing mm -hmm. and so the point that i'm making is if you look at what's going on we have people that are now torturing themselves with psychedelic drugs torturing themselves with vegetarianism and veganism and torturing themselves with overeating meat no matter which way you go we've got people torturing themselves with religious dogma what am i saying i'm saying that what you're asking me about veganism and vegetarianism is really one of the ways people lock on to something that's bigger than them that gives them a tribe because we come from a culture of broken families so now they've got a group of people that are very very committed that have convinced themselves that they're protecting the world and protecting the animals and now you have a rite of passage ceremony and lo and behold people go into this philosophy one, they now have brothers and sisters of the like kind, which is a mythological structure, but they also find out that there's a lot of restriction. They can't eat the junk. They have to withhold. They have to abstain. They have to act like an adult. They have to control their impulse urges. So you see that psychologically what's behind a lot of these ideologies is the need to conform to a common myth and have a tribal structure or an extended family of like-minded people because it creates a sense of safety. And inside the myth of vegetarianism and veganism is that we're saving the world. But what's missing there is that one, if you don't pay attention to what your body needs, which is radically individual, anybody that's ever read the book Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price should have a clear expose 
because he searched the world going to native tribes when there was still native tribes that had not been touched by white man. And one of his goals was to find a healthy vegetarian tribe. He could not. Whenever he found a vegetarian tribe, and he did find one that he thought was fairly healthy, but within a few miles, he would find meat-eating tribes that were even healthier. And he showed the number one limiting factor on how much meat any tribal society ate was only one thing, availability. And that vegetarian people came from regions of the world where there was no big game. There's many books that look into this. Um, I could list lots of them for you, but the point really is this. We are genetically unique. Our need for nutrition is based on our genes. For example, if you come from a region where there's a winter and the ground freezes, well, plants don't grow in ice. So you had to eat. We were, for the longest period, we were nomadic. We, this is pre-agricultural, pre-horticultural. To be a nomad means to follow the meat. We had to follow the animals to eat because we didn't have systems for growing and cultivating plants. So when you look at the genetic aspects of it, each of us is a product of the environment that we're in. And you can look, for example, if you go to Australia and study the diets of inland aboriginals relative to coastal aboriginals, the inland aboriginals eat approximately 75% plant material and only 25% flesh foods, which is largely small game and insects and things like witchetty grubs because they don't have access to big game. The same race of people on the coastal region eat 75% flesh foods and only 25% plant foods because they have a lot more fish and big game available to them. And there's a lot more nutrition that can be packed into meat. It's a lot denser. It's easier to transport. You get bioaccumulation of nutrients. So the point that I'm making here is that we naturally gravitate toward flesh foods when they're available because it's more efficient. There's a great book called 10,000 Years from Eden, Metabolic Man, by Charles Heiser Worthen, who is a, uh, I believe he is a naturalist or a, um, he's somebody that studies primitive cultures and societies. And he shows you that the average tribe could meet their hunting and gathering requirements in three and a half to four hours a day and they spent the rest of the time playing with the kids. In almost every tribal culture, while mom and dad were out hunting and gathering, the grandparents or the elders were educating them in the tribal myths and in the uh, acts and processes that would later become important as adults because they wanted the most educated and the most empathetic and compassionate people raising the children, while the parents who were more youthful and not so evolved were out doing the grunt work, but they showed, his studies showed that on average in hunting societies, we could gain the calories we needed and the food we needed in only three and a half to four hours a day. So the rest of the time was spent dancing, singing, having fun and learning through arts, crafts, storytelling, and the things that we don't do anymore. We do it all passively by reality television and watching garbage on television. So what we've got at a psychological level in the meat eating camp, in the vegan and vegetarian camp, 
and in the hardcore exercise camp and the extreme sports camps are all people trying to create a rite of passage at an unconscious level to prove that they can deal with death. So that's the psychological element that's often not looked at. Then the whole concept of, oh, we're not designed to eat meat. That's just radical silliness. That's all. I mean, all you got to do is study the history of man and the history of eating and look at the archaeological records and travel to different cultures around the world and read books by intelligent people like Weston A. Price, Charles Heiser Worthen. Um, there's many books in my library looking into this, but most people don't spend the time to truly educate themselves. They just fall in love with some myth in the false sense of the term running around. There's another deep problem with all this. One, if you are using any diet philosophy, I don't care which one it is, and it's disrupting your ability to be healthy, well, you're harming a human being. And many of these vegetarians and vegans are going after this whole thing saying, oh, we don't want to harm animals, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're torturing a human being, and I got news for you. Animals can't vote. Animals can't change what the military does. Animals can't change what politics and corporations do. Animals can't control how badly the world is polluted. So if, in my philosophy, if your diet and lifestyle is disabling your ability to be a contributor in the world right now because you think you're saving a couple of cows, then you're actually doing something far worse than killing an animal. You're destroying the only organism that actually has a chance to change the world for a better in the name of half thought out, poorly studied silliness. I have nothing against vegetarianism. I've been a vegetarian. My mother's a yogi. I was a vegetarian for six months when I was a kid, but it made me sick. I became anemic. My mother took me to a naturopathic physician. He did blood tests on me. He said, this kid's starving for protein. Go home and feed him a steak. And within one meal, I started feeling better immediately. Then several years back, I think in my 40s, my, I was doing spiritual practices and my soul guided me into being a vegetarian for exactly one year, a strict vegetarian. I lost 24, 25 pounds of muscle. There was positive things that came out of it. My meditations got very deeper. My sense of subtle energies got enhanced quite a bit. But I could not recover nearly as effectively from exercise and I could not, no matter how hard I trained, I could not put muscle on. In fact, I would take muscle off because I didn't have the pro protein resources, even eating as much beans and legumes and, and following the vegetarian concepts to get as much protein, but my body's not designed. We've got to remember that each person's genetics determines how much protein they can extract or fiber of protein they can extract from fibrous plants because the protein's woven into fiber in plants. Then you look at research of Byron Robinson, MD, who did something very interesting that a lot of people don't know about because they don't study very much. He analyzed the intestinal tracts of hundreds of people and he measured them from mouth to anus. And what he found was that their range of difference was from 22 feet was the shortest intestinal tracts to 42 feet. Amazing. So Amazing. he found that within human beings, the length of the intestinal tract or the digestive system, what he called the entron, which is a medical name for everything from the mouth to the anus, which is your whole digestive system, 
could be twice as long and lo and behold, he tracked where the people came from that had these long digestive systems and it was regions in the world where there was very little meat to eat. And he showed that their bodies had adapted over time to give the, pro the body a longer time to extract protein out of fibrous plants. Cows have five stomachs. One of the things that vegetarians keep saying, oh, so look how much muscle cows can make with grass. Yes, but they have five stomachs. They have five fermentation chambers to extract amino acids from fiber. Humans do not have that. So we have that misunderstanding. The evidence I'm pointing to here clearly shows that unique we each have unique dietary needs and falling into a dogma or a philosophy without paying attention to what your body needs is a guarantee you're going to run into health problems and you're going to injure human beings and not be a contributor to the world which needs conscious help right now. Then there's another issue. The vegetarians have all this, oh, we're protecting the animals, but they forget if you study soil science, soil science shows you that 85% of all plants are mycorrhiza formers. That means they have a functional relationship with the fungi in the soil. The fungi use powerful acids to dissolve minerals, liquefy them, and feed them to the plants through the roots and trade for the carbohydrate in the plant sap. So basically the plants feed the fungus sugar and the fungus feeds the plants minerals and what the research shows all the way back in the 1940s, Lady Eve Balfour, who wrote the Holly experiment, and is one of the pioneers of organic farming as a concept worldwide, right out of England, she showed, you can see people like Elaine Ingham, um, Arden Anderson, who wrote the book Science and Agriculture, which is mind-blowingly good, showed that the fungi would actually set up a web around the root system of the plant, and any parasitic organism that tried to attack the plant the fungi would entangle it, send filaments right inside and eat the organism from the inside out and feed it to the plants. So what they don't realize is 85% of the plants they're eating are carnivorous and are eating the little animals in the soil. And then you've got Sir Albert Howard, considered one, to be one of the greatest agriculturalists that ever lived right out of England, who did experiments with compost. And you can look right into his book, An Agricultural Testament by Sir Albert Howard, and it's got the experiments in there. He made compost. He made compost that was vegetarian. He made compost that had only animal hair and blood droppings. Then he made compost that had table scraps with bones and whatever was left on the table. He then grew plots of the same genus of plant. And on one plot, he, he farmed them with vegetarian compost. On the next plot with the blood and animal hair. And on the third plot, the compost was from table scraps with meat and all sorts of stuff in there right off the table. He then cultivated barrels and barrels of insects known directly to be parasitic to those plants. And when it was harvest time, he poured barrels of parasites all over the fields, trying specifically to infect the plants. And then he measured the amount of crop loss amongst each of these crops. And lo and behold, he found that the crops raised on vegetarian compost had the highest rate of parasite infection, 
were the sickest and were the weakest. Their structure was the weakest. They were most susceptible to wind, blow down by wind and things like that. The second healthiest was the ones raised on compost with hair and, and blood. And the healthiest plants were the ones raised on compost that had animal flesh and table scraps in it. And the crop loss was only three to 4% with direct exposure to barrels and barrels of parasites because they had strong bodies and strong immune systems. And so he showed that even the plants are sensitive to the amount of flesh that they're getting through the soil, which is the function of the microorganisms and the function of what's called the soil food web. There's a famous soil scientist called Elaine Ingham, and she's mapped out the soil food web. And she's got charts that just basically shows who's eating who. What you find out is underneath the ground, it's highly carnivorous. Everything's eating everything else. And the plants are getting fed and they're being protected by the organisms and the fungi that, 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 give, that they give sugar to and that they get protein and minerals and nutrition from. So the point that I'm making is the whole concept of being a vegetarian when you get right down to brass taxes is null and void because the plants themselves are not vegetarians. <laughs> and the next major mistake, which cracks me up, I mean, the current research out there, you, you go all the way back to Tompkins and Bird's book in, the, I believe, the late 70s, early 80s, The Secret Life of Plants, where they showed plants are highly conscious. They're as conscious as animals, by God. Then you look at the work of Cleve Baxter, and then you look at books like The Secret Life of the Cell. Cleve Baxter showed Plants were wickedly intelligent. Uh, I won't bore you with the details, but he showed that plants are highly conscious. Then you got scientist Philip Callahan, who showed plants are capable of doing something quite wild. They can consciously move forward and backwards in time, and he proved this mathematically. So he's showing that these plants are super conscious creatures. They are not unconscious. And one of the main reasons the vegans and vegetarians keep going for the plants is because they think that plants aren't conscious and they don't feel the pain when you kill them. Even Rudolf Steiner showed that plants feel pain just like animals. They just feel it at a different level of vibration because their consciousness is in the astral plane, not in the physical plane. So no matter which way you go, it always boils down when you really look at the science of it, you look at the psychology of it, you look at the soil science of it, and you look at the genetics of it, it boils down to this. The only diet that's the right diet is the one that your body needs to be healthy and vital. And if you're over consuming plants, you're wasting food. If you're over consuming animals, you're wasting food, and either of them is destructive. The other thing that the vegans go crazy about is how bad meat is, but they forget that there's a huge distinction between commercially farmed animals and organic and wild animals. And most of the people that do better on a vegan diet initially are on a detoxification diet. It's the first time they've increased nutrient variety. It's the first time they've had enough fiber in their life, most of them, which is a, a huge detoxification aid. So they've increased nutrient variety and they've decreased toxic burden. And so what I see is a trend. When people go vegetarian or vegan, they often have health improvements for about three to five years. But then after that, they start going into a state of protein deficiency and they start having serious problems with hormonal regulation and they can't produce enough androgens and they can't grow, repair their cells and they start 
end up in chronic states of gluconeogenesis and they go, their body has to eat itself, which is why you see these emaciated skinny people who are also glowing quite a lot. You look at their faces, they often have a kind of a red glow, like it, to the untrained eye, it looks like a vital glow, almost like a pregnant woman, but that's high levels of adrenaline because adrenaline is the precursor to cortisol and cortisol is used for gluconeogenesis. It catabolizes your own flesh and feeds it into your bloodstream to keep amino acids in the brain so that you don't die. So what you see is that the vegetarian approach can be very, very therapeutic and very effective as a healing modality. But the day you don't pay attention to the fact that your body's needs for flesh is being driven by your genes, and if you don't get high-quality, clean flesh, then you are going to just create another problem. So you go from thinking you're saving the world and saving the animals to destroying yourself and contributing to the destruction of the world because there's one less person to vote and make intelligent decisions. My philosophy is, look, do you see what I'm about to tell you is this all goes back to my discussion of mythology and the discussion of the importance of understanding that we are being supported by a world that's being supported by a solar system that's being supported by a galaxy that's being supported by a universe. And the first function of mythology is to understand that you are part of something very big, so big the human mind can't wrap itself around it. But the function of a mythology is to teach you to respect the forces of nature. Before they had science, they named these things they couldn't understand God. So, for example, Zeus is the god of lightning. Nobody knew how lightning was created, but they knew it could kill you instantly and it could start the forest on fire. So they worship these forces as gods. Science refutes mythology because they say this is ridiculous. You can't prove this scientifically. They didn't know what they were talking about, but they don't realize science does the same thing. They just put different names on it. That's why I told you. Quantum physics turned physics upside down. Well, they had made their own gods, but quantum physics came along and said, we've got a better god. But the, the key feature here is that we had a respect for the forces of nature, and we knew that you had to protect the planet and take care of it, that you couldn't overfarm, that you couldn't overhunt, or you would destroy the balance of nature, which means you would get destroyed. So we're at a point today where we've got to stop playing silly diet games and we've got to realize that creating an unconscious rite of passage by creating large groups of people and paradoxically they're so worried about animal rights but all you've got to do to get acts of violence put at you is go anywhere where there's vegetarians and tell them that their philosophy has a hole in it and you will be attacked as though you were an alien invader. And I proved this to my students one time. I was teaching a class in Hawaii, and we were talking about this, and one of the students uh, was a vegan and said, oh, that's not true. They don't behave that way. I said, oh, yeah, watch this. I said, when we go to lunch, there's a, there's a vegetarian health food store right down the street. I want all of you to come with me, and you watch what happens when I walk into the store and ask one question. So they said, okay, they were all excited about this. We walked down to this vegetarian health food store. I walked right up to the counter. First, I walked around the store like I was looking for something just to make it real. And then I said to the lady at the counter, I said, I'm sorry, but I can't find the bacon anywhere. And she went into about 10 minute ass chewing on me. 
my yeah. students stood there and laughed their asses off because it was exactly what I told them would happen. And I, because it's happened to me in almost every vegetarian store I've ever been in and asked a question like that. And I do it to prove that these people are so hormonally out of balance and they're so dogmatically addicted to a philosophy they have not put honest time to investigate that they actually behave worse towards human beings than they do towards animals. And they're being disrespectful that plants are highly conscious and that to kill anything is a sacred act. So my philosophy is worship everything. I believe the first principle of Sufism, which says there is no God but God. I worship everyone and everything. And that's what tribal mythologies tried to do, was teach us that everything is sacred and everything must be kept in balance. So do I have a, a uh, specific way to eat? No, because you can get sick eating too much meat. You can get sick eating not enough meat. You can get sick eating commercially farmed food. You can get sick eating too much medical drugs. You can get sick eating too much stuff out of cans and microwaves. At the end of the day, all we've got to do is pay attention to what nature's been teaching us all along and realize that right now our world is in big trouble and we don't have time to play silly food games and spend time and energy and money arguing over things that wouldn't even be an issue if we would just be honest with ourselves, feed ourselves what our body's asking us for. Many vegetarians I've rehabilitated told me, Paul, I know something's up because whenever I smell meat, it makes me salivate. But the problem is I feel psychologically ill, like I'm going to vomit because I don't want to kill an animal. But my body is obviously hungry for meat. How do I handle that? And I say, listen to your body because your body's not programmed with a bunch of BS. Your sure. body's honest. Just listen to your body. And when you feel like you've had enough meat, quit eating it. If you go for two or three months eating meat and all of a sudden it starts to feel repulsive, don't eat it for a while. Wait till you're hungry for it. The fact of the matter is if we just ate what we need to eat, and kept ourselves healthy, we would be much more conscious, much more in tune with nature, and we would see that all things are sacred. We would honor that the plants are conscious and they're sacrificing for us. We would honor that the insects and the microorganisms are essential to all of our survival. We would honor that animals are sacred, and we would treat them with love and respect, and we would harvest them in ways that the Native Americans and the tribal people of the world did which is not mass kills and, and overconsumption. This is the bottom line. We're now at a point where we've got to stop playing childish games and creating the equivalent of religious, ethnocentric and egocentric battles against groups and get down to what's really true. And, and what, I, what I've just told you is well backed by science. It's just that when I tell this to people, that are caught in one of these dogmas, they don't want to look. Until it becomes to like until they get all themselves, and this is the thing, as you said, dealt, dealt with a lot of um, vegans that were healthy, but then they get British women lose their period, uh, teeth rotting, hair falling out. A lot of men who can't get uh, their erection anymore, um, etc., have lost their sex drive, have lost their ability to even like want to work out, and whoa, 
what an answer that was, Paul. Thank you so much for that. That was a phenomenal answer. And, you know, you said some people three to five years, some people can be three to five months. And this is what Paul's saying, you know, just do what works. And the problem that we got is most people are so unhealthy, they, they don't, they can't actually listen to the intuition of their body because they're not there yet. But the healthier you get and the more you start to listen to your body, it will tell you everything you need to know. Um, Paul? There's one more thing I want to interject. Go for it. When you learn to listen to your body, the same exact listening skills will bring you into an awareness that the plants are talking to you, that the trees are talking to you, that the animals are talking to you. So the very same reasons we're caught in all these diet games and political games and drug games and we're sick and obese and burned out with all this modern science is because we keep listening to things and people outside of us, not listening to the truth of the wisdom of a hundred trillion cells that have survived billions of years and manifested so we can have this experience. So we listen to some expert who's got a few years of training in some corporately sponsored system instead of listening to a hundred trillion cells that have the wisdom of a universe. Once we get to the point, and this is really what I teach in the Czech Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Program, this is what guys like Warren are masters of, I teach you to see everything as sacred and know that your body is the only place that you can worship life and great spirit for sure. And so if you honor that and you spend time connecting with that and, and engage the four doctors that I teach, you find that you come to an awakening. And the awakening is, wow, the food is conscious and it talks to me. The soil is conscious. The trees are conscious. The birds, the bees, the animals. And it's really a beautiful web in which everything is sacrificing itself to support something else. And the last thing I want to say is I teach people you've got to get past the idea of killing food. When you eat a chicken, it becomes human. You are giving that thing instant evolution. If you want to be kind to animals, then eat them with respect and go out into the world and give the chicken a chance to experience what it means to be human. But if you eat a chicken and act like an idiot and keep destroying the planet and defending poorly thought out dogmas, then you've just kept the uh, chicken unconscious and now you have killed the chicken. Everything we are is something else. Everything that you are, you are earth, you are water, you are metabolism and you are air. And I ask you this one question, if you get rid of the earth, the water, the fire and the air in you, where are you? I'm not here. You're everywhere and nowhere. You know what that makes you? God. Mm, interesting. You are consciousness itself. So we are a constant stream. Current research shows we replace every cell in our bodies every 365 days. We're a flowing river. Mm -hmm. So the reality of it is we are the earth. We are the plants. We are the trees. We are the animals. We are the air. Yet we are very, very disrespectful to what we are. While at the same time, you've got people like vegetarians saying they're protecting that. But how can you protect animals and not realize that you're also supposed to be protecting the plants and the soil and the water and the air? And we're at a point right now where we need to take all the militaries of the world and task them 
under the guidance of skilled scientists to rehabilitate the soil, clean the air and clean the water immediately instead of building more nuclear weapons and more dangerous defense systems that fill the world full of radiation, electromagnetic pollution and traumatize the animals and cause whales and seals to beach themselves and die and all the other silliness that's going on in the name of military defense, which is another one of the great big cartels that controls everything. And by the way, stems right from the church. The church used to be government and military and education and religion, all the one in one ball. And they've made the illusion that they've separated. But if you track all this stuff, a lot of it ends up right back at the Vatican. And so we're now at a point where we have to stop playing childish games and we have to recognize that we're being controlled by people that are making a lot of money, not only off us, but on destroying the planet and each other. So I say get in touch with Dr. Happiness, get clear what your dream is, learn to move your body to keep it healthy, not too much, not too little. Learn to rest effectively because without rest, you've lost the best medicine nature has and it's free. Learn to eat for your individual needs. And when you have happiness, diet, quiet, movement and balance, then you really are a positive influence on everybody in the world. And anyone that looks at you and emulates you is moving the world in a direction. So there's nothing wrong with any of these philosophies because they're like tools, but the abuse of any tool is the abuse of the individual that's engaging the tool. And you talk about nature as well. You can feel it, like being part of the When you go out in nature or you go into anywhere uh, that it, you can feel the energy. It is talking to you. So, right, and it, I mean, people, problem is people are uh, using the brain too much and not feeling enough. You know, they're thinking they're all these, as you say, all these programmed thoughts and it gets in the way of them actually listening to their body, saying that, as you said, has got you know, 100 trillion cells um, that he's speaking to him all the time. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, um, giving so much, so many pearls of wisdom there. I'm loving to get you back on the show um, periodically and just talk about things. There's lots of things we haven't covered, such as parasites. I'd love to I'd love to cover um, the Czech totem pole. Uh, and there's so much I'd like to discuss. But just for the people out there, best play, I mean, you've got the book How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. People can get that right from the checkinstitute.com or from Amazon. You've also got the, the four the four doctors, the only four doctors you ever need. Is that on Amazon as well? The last four doctors you'll need, How to Get Healthy Now. That's at the Czech Institute under eBooks. Um, I've got many books. I've written, I think, 11 or 12 books that, on different topics. I've got Primal Pattern Movements. I've got um, Paint a Circle Around Your Arrow, Hit the Bullseye Every Time. Uh, there's a bunch of things I've written, but the ones that are most relevant to this conversation are How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, and The Last Four Doctors You'll Ever Need, How to Get Healthy Now, which is a multimedia ebook so that there's video clips, there's uh, slideshows, there's audio tracks, and then there's written text. Yeah, that's awesome. And also, people, if you want to want to um, look into working or becoming a Czech practitioner, then head on over to www.checkinstitute.com. And um, I think it's uh, you've got the HLC one, is it? And um, the the other the holistic the holistic lifestyle program. Yeah, holistic lifestyle coach level one can be done online. That's the entry level that uh, basically helps you. Uh, better understand the concepts and how to eat, move and be healthy. There's more information in there that's not in how to eat, move and be healthy. 
It's broken up into bite-sized lessons, and you can choose to do it with an instructor to get all your questions answered and help you implement the training. Um, so a person can go to the website if they register at the Czech Institute website, then they can be notified. They'll get notifications of workshops, courses, new product releases. We also have the blog at the Czech Institute with loaded with stuff. And for people that are interested in my blog, it's www.paulcheksblog, paulchecksblog.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash Paul, C-H-E-K-L-I-V-E, Paul Check Live. Awesome. And there's, there's over 500 videos people can access for free there. I put one out um, every week pretty much consistently, so about 52 videos a year I put out. Awesome. That's, uh, that's I mean, anyone listening, go and watch Paul's stuff. He, he really does. If anything you want to talk about, I mean, my, this interview will be out on, on my channel as well. Um, Revive Yourself on YouTube and obviously, hopefully, it will be up on Paul's as well. Paul, thank you so much for, the, for, the day, for today. Um, and I know our audience is going to get huge value out of this. And I, I look forward to speaking to you again sometime soon. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. So, guys, wow, what an interview that was. We went deep, and you just have to wind up, wind Paul up and watch him go. He just, he will just, I mean, the guy is so knowledgeable on so, so many things. I can't wait to get him back on and actually talk to him about the Czech totem pole and all about his experience with um, structural analysis and structural assessments, um, as well as lots of other things we go into. I'm so interested to get his opinions on organic farming. We're going to parasites, lots more, but what an interview guys um i'm so glad we could get that out to you and get paul on the show and i can't wait to get him back on now as always guys i said before if you're interested in or getting yourself healthy and you've been dealing with a chronic issue then head on over to www.reviveyourself.co where you can look um where you can actually enroll in our free four-day mini course anyone with a chronic health condition whether that condition so whether that be skin gut um, adrenal fatigue thyroid issues um, whatever it may be diabetes brain fog then that's going to be great for you <clears throat> if you want to skip that and you feel like you need individual help um, first I mean even after the four days we're happy to help you I know that gives you a basic overview but if you need individual help then send me an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co um, you can have a look on our website as well there's a contact form you can click on there um, but you can also follow us on Facebook at revive or sorry Facebook forward slash revive yourself natural health and we're actually on Instagram at revive underscore yourself but as always guys don't be afraid to send me an email um, uh, if you feel like you need to but also reviews on itunes are going to be great for us guys if you can because it gets out to more people uh, as the same on our facebook page the more views we get the more we can put it out to to, to more people uh, to a further audience which would mean we can get more and more people healthy which is why i'm doing this okay guys so that's it for this week i know you're gonna get huge value out of this interview um I'm so pleased i could get it for you as i said before and as always guys um any anything you need, head on over to www.reviveyourself.co. Okay. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. If you're struggling with gut issues such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of the Healing Health Paradigm today.